Hey there DC fans, this is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News, here to give you a special deal from Insight Editions. Insight Editions is an amazing company who uh, sells books and collectibles uh, from all sorts of pop culture, whether it be DC Comics, Marvel Comics, uh, movies like Die Hard, Harry Potter, Alien, everything out there in the world you can you can find you got books collectibles uh pop-up greeting cards they have all kinds of amazing items and right now through january 8th you can get 35 percent off site-wide by using the code dc news 35 that's dc n-e-w-s 35 dc news 35 use that code until january 8th and receive 35 percent off site-wide at insighteditions.com and i'm also going to say that i didn't switch off uh video simply because i have my wife's hair color in the background or i'm wearing one of my more fashionable robes so <laughs> uh, <laughs> Why turn it into anything overly dramatic or overly done? It is only the 100th episode of DC Comics News Podcasts and our weekly podcast episodes. And how do we choose to celebrate it? Well, for some reason, you've got me hosting. I'm sure there are any one of our other co-hosts who would do a wonderful job, but I'm lucky enough to get the job. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. I'm hanging out with a regular co-host of mine, my good friend, Mr. Brad Felicki. Brad, how are you, sir? I'm good. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 2021. Yeah. <laughs> and what a better way to start off uh, that sense of more to look forward to, more to hope for, than having an amazing, awesome guest with us today. And to kick off 2021, I'm talking about Sean O'Connell. Sean, I, I would give some long-winded introduction, but I would rather, one, give you an opportunity to tell everyone what they should know about you, especially because we have some relevant topics coming up that would probably pertain to that. How are you, sir? Thank you. I'm wonderful, guys. Thank you so much for being here. It is an absolute honor to uh, to ring in your 100th episode. What a, I mean, getting to 100 of anything is super impressive. Way to go. Uh, I know how difficult it can be to put a podcast together. And so the fact that you guys are uh, are, are maintaining this and, and getting such a large audience is uh, is phenomenal. But but obviously on the DC side, there's so much stuff going on. It, it, there's an endless amount of content for you guys to dive into, whether it be on the film side, on the HBO Max streaming side, uh, things uh, original content coming to HBO Max, and and the way that um, filmmakers are still trying to get stuff into theaters. I, I'm the managing director of Cinema Blend. Um, I run the Real Blend podcast, so we cover this stuff up and down as well too. Um, but I'm sure we're going to get into this in a second. I wrote a book called Release the Snyder Cut, which is all about the fight uh, for the people uh, in the movement. Zack Snyder's fans who started a movement to get his cut of Justice League released and the fact that they succeeded um, in May of last year and that that movie's coming to HBO Max in 2021 in March, we believe. I just wish we had a hard and fast date. And 
I really appreciate you setting us up so perfectly for that, Sean, because that's actually where I would love to start off this 100th episode. Something that relates so well to the idea of what can we hope for that might seem impossible at times. 2020 was a year where so many things were working against whatever it was we might be seeking and desiring. And the Snyder Cut is such a prime example of of that sort of hope, that persistent, unwithering, unrelenting hope that, that led to the cut that we are now talking about that your book is based on. What was it like to write about that? Exhilarating um, and a little bit terrifying in that it was like writing a breaking news story that that broke over the course of several months because um, it took so long to to get the right information from the key people to figure out how the movement started. And then while I was deep into the research and the process of writing it, the movement was still really active and doing a lot of stuff to continue to raise awareness um, for the uh, to raise funds for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, to get the attention of people at Warner Brothers. Uh, they had con- they constantly had all of these different activations that they were trying to do in order to get people's attention. And I was trying to get all this stuff into the book while it was happening. But then to be finished with the book, literally done with it and and come to terms with the fact that, you know, we may never see this cut. It might become a Richard Donner type situation where, you know, 20 some odd years is going to pass before he gets his version of Superman 2 out. And then Zach turns around and announces it. And I have to rewrite the ending completely. So, you know, I'm currently at work on a on a second book and it's much more of a of a deep dive into into stuff that's been finished for a long time. And it's a wildly different process because it made me realize how much of Snyder Cut was sort of being written on the fly because all of these huge events, the November 17th trending event, you know, or just um, Zach constantly uh, teasing the fan base through his Vero posts about how close we might be to something happening. It it was really a race against time and and felt like you were on a roller coaster, but it was it was a, a ton of fun and super exciting. Ah, I I can only imagine I'm going to rein in my desire to ask multiple follow-up questions and acknowledge the fact that Brad so often is a tad more insightful than I am, and I learn so much more and ask better questions after he asks a question. So, Brad, my friend, I know I fired one right off right off the bat, but I, I know you must have questions also for Sean. I'm going to go ahead and ask uh, what the first burning one is for you, my friend. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious, given not only all the, you know, the work and research that you put into putting this book together, but also just your your past experience, you know, being a film journalist and, and everything. How how do you think that the fact that this this movement actually worked and got the Snyder Cut released, how do you think that's going to affect the film industry going forward? I don't think it's going to have as big of an impact as as people might think, because I think this is a truly unique situation Um, that there was a a movement of fans who stayed united enough to stay on target. Um, There's definitely, you know, fractures in the movement and there's there's people who want to guide it in one way or the other. But for for a sustained three year period, they kept their eye on the prize and, you know, might have argued a bit about how they were going to get to the finish line, but but got to the finish line. And they were fighting for something that absolutely existed. You might see some other 
um, movements pop up here and there that, that lobby for something that truly isn't attainable. Um, but with the Snyder Cut, there was a finished product. And no matter how, how many times that they were tried to be told by other people who claimed to be in the know that this didn't exist, uh, the, the Snyder Cut movement never gave up on uh, hope or belief, and partly because they were, they were egged on by Zach himself, you know, who kept trying to share images of uh, alternate cuts that, that proved he had different footage. Or if they started to, to share something with him on Vero Social and mentioned that they were giving up hope, he would tell them not to. I just don't, you don't see that anywhere else. This was a truly, to me so far, once in a, once in a lifetime type situation where um, there was actually something to lobby hard for. And the filmmaker encouraged his fans to keep fighting for it as he apparently was working behind the scenes to try to negotiate its release as well too. And they succeeded and they, they succeeded far quicker than, than even Zach anticipated. Uh, He told me that in an interview that he did for the book, is that he he didn't anticipate it happening nearly as quickly as it actually did. And I think without HBO Max and the ability to put something on a streaming service, you might not be getting ready to see the Snyder Cut uh, the way that we are in 2021. That's really phenomenal. I mean, <laughs> you're talking about capturing something that's, you know, uh, pretty difficult to pin down in some ways. And yet at the same time, you, you point to some really juicy concepts, one which is, it's right there. You know, you've actually got the material. All you have to do is actually, you know, reveal it to the public and admit that it's it's, something that exists. And then at the same time, you've also got a director who is willing to constantly tease, 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 tease. I, I love, you know, both of those pieces. I have to ask, though, we're those seem like they would be kind of big surprises to me, you know, working on something like that. Were they among the biggest, you know, discoveries, things you already knew going in? Or was there, you know, a couple of big surprises, maybe one you can tease us about that exists within the book that most people wouldn't expect, be aware of, or be prepared for? On the, on the film side or on the on the movement side? Uh, I think I was thinking more about on the movement side now, should something cross over into the film side, that would be, you know, also just as interesting to hear about. But I think just as you're writing about this, as you're discovering things and and sort of coming across uh, the unexpected, what would have been the most uh, interesting, amazing or surprising of the unexpected while you were working on it? Learning more about the movement uh, at every stage of this process was eye-opening um, and encouraging and inspiring um, in, in ways that that eventually over the course, I'll tell you guys this, the project changed completely from where I started with it to where I ended with it. In this sense, um, the, the more interesting element to me as a film journalist going into this project was the fact that a director had his movie taken away from him, um, that he was then replaced with the quote unquote lead guy from the rival Marvel Studios, you know, here's Whedon who's done two Avengers films and he gets picked to do a Justice League movie. Like all of that was fascinating to me. Um, but, and, and it was an early conversation that I had with my wife um, in the in the process of starting to do this book where I was explaining all this to her and why it was fascinating that, that you know, Joss replaced Zach and, and, and how these people wanted to see this movie. And she said, I, 
she said to me literally, I know why you're interested in that, but the part that I want to know is who are these people? Like who are the people who are fighting on day-to-day -day, uh, basis in the online trenches who are working so hard to get this movie released? And I was like, you know what? I honestly don't know. Like I have no idea who these people are or why they are this passionate about it. So she said, find that story. And I started to just literally interview people who were prevalent in the movement. And they were very cautious at first. They didn't necessarily trust uh, outside journalists. They've been burned before by other experiences. It took a long time to earn their trust, to let them know that I was trying to come at this with an open mind and learn as much as I could about it. So once I started to, to work my way into just hearing the stories of the people in the movement, then every step of it was was um, a surprise because I just got off on hearing the personal reasons why people were so motivated it, you know, to see Zach's version, how important uh, Man of Steel was to them, how important BVS was to them, how eye-opening uh, Ultimate Edition of BVS was to them, how the level of anticipation that they had going into Justice League and, and just the emotional gut punch that it was seeing the theatrical cut that made it into theaters in 2017. Like, these are all things I never once stopped to think about until I started hearing everybody telling me their stories. And then I was like, well, this is why I want to tell this story, that there's so much more of a human element behind just, oh, there was a bad superhero movie that got put out. It was it's so much more than that. And I wanted people to to better understand who the people are behind this movement, because I think a lot of times the movement gets a lot of negativity by um, drive by critics who don't fully understand it. And I I'll often reply to them and say, like, have you ever once just stopped to talk to these people? They have amazing stories to share. And this is why this is really important. And so all of that is in the book. That's such a my wife always has much better ideas than me. <laughs> I so <laughs> I, I I love the fact that you're pointing out like you know as soon as she told me to go this way like suddenly everything worked it's like yeah that's one of those ones you're just gonna always know and carry and you know you 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 know the value of it <laughs> and the well, trade-off is amazing a lot of times you're just too close to it you know like mm -hmm. I was thinking over the idea in my head over and over and over and I wasn't really verbalizing it to anybody because I didn't think I was gonna go down this this entire process. But as I started to get to be get, because it's the first time I've ever written a book, and so I never really thought, I never gave too much thought into how much goes into it. But once I knew how much time commitment was going to be, of course, I started to tell her about it. And so I was like, I have an idea. I think it's this, and I laid it out. And as soon as she was like, No, 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 it's probably more this. It was like, a, it was literally the light bulb going off, and I was like, Oh yeah, that's far more interesting. And I've had a bunch of other revelations throughout the course. Like people have really helped me to understand when putting this story together, how to think bigger picture. Cause I can get lost in the weeds and the, the fine tuned details that are really fascinating to me, but they would, and please tell me too, I'm assuming you guys are, are DC movie news that you know all these things that I'm saying, but a lot of times I, I'll take shortcut stuff to, to describe certain things. And then people will be like, okay, hold on, wait a second. Who's in the justice league? <laughs> like, all right. Well, I remember I got to back up a little bit uh, and, and sort of explain uh, on a wider, because you know, people who are interested in comic book movies, they don't pay attention to the the ins and outs of the movie making process the way a lot of us totally rabid fans do. So I did try to also step back and make the book accessible to anybody who 
maybe has seen four or five comic book movies, but doesn't really know if like Logan is in Marvel or DC, like where do they fit? So I wanted to make it interesting to, to just about everybody. Uh, it certainly sounds like you did. And going with uh, the voices of fans and those who were so strident, you know, in their support of the movement and generating it and leading to the thing we're all now talking about so much. That's such a great way. And as you pointed out, such a wonderful experience with all the surprises involved. Thanks for such a great answer to my question. Brad, I'm not sure if I snuck in a follow-up there somewhere, but I'm, I'm doing my That's best right. to say, I know you must have more questions too, my friend. So back over to you. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned about, the, you know, the drive-by critics that they got stuff wrong and they didn't understand it. What do you think they didn't understand and what do you think they got wrong about it, given how, you know, what kind of an inside view you had of everything once you started writing the book i I just think they dug their heels in the sand um and and swore up and down that the the cut or the the 214 minute version couldn't exist and even if you just had a passing knowledge of how much work zach had put into the movie before he left it you had to understand that he had to have a version that could be there. And so I, I never qu- quite understood. And, and honestly, as a journalist, I think it's smart to keep an open mind about just about anything um, until it's 100% proven up and down. So to, to, you know, really dig yourself in and say, no, you're wrong. It doesn't exist. It'll never get released. And then to turn around and say things like, if you even understand how movies are made, um, then there's no way possible that this could ever get released or no one will ever uh, give it the money to be released. Like the movie industry doesn't speak in absolutes ever. Um, <laughs> as I use an absolute to, to say that they don't ever speak in absolutes. Something is always possible. Um, might it be really difficult? Yeah, it might be really difficult. And more often than not, it's a, a money issue or it's an ego issue. You know, like there's people who who passed on the Snyder Cut or – or decided to change gears and go with a more upbeat, lighter tone and bring in Whedon. And those people might not want to let Snyder's version see the light of day. But if you have even just a passing knowledge of, of the film and the production that went into it, and I was lucky enough to go to the set, you know, back when it was still Zach's version. Like we went to the UK and we interviewed him on the set and he walked us through it. And I knew, I knew what his plans were and they were not what showed up in the theatrical cut. And so, um, I think those people, the, the the people who wanted the Snyder Cut movement to fail, uh, they have some resentment towards Zack. They have some resentment towards superhero movies in general. It's a lot of it's a lot of film media that doesn't cover this beat. Uh, they and they don't really like the fact that the superhero genre gets as much attention as it does. Um, and the, they just ate a lot of crow because <laughs> they were so wrong. And if they just couched it a little bit more with Look, it doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen. You know, maybe this fan base should back off. But they didn't. They went full in in the other direction of just like these people are crazy to think it'll ever happen. And I never understood going that extreme with it because I think, honestly, in this industry, anything is possible. Great. Thank you so much. That's some great insight. Uh, Seth, what about your next question? Man, yeah, that is some really great insight. And it's it's so amazing. I was wondering myself, like, you know, keeping in mind who the people were and how, you know, 
focused their commitment was, who would be fighting against them? And that's not even a question I needed to ask anymore because you, you really brought that to light so well, Sean. I, re- I really appreciate that. I, I think that's helpful to, to keep in mind. I'm, I'm curious if there's anyone, you know, because so many times there are, you know, a multitude of voices and sometimes there's a chorus and other times you have a couple of, you know, singular voices that stand out. doesn't always have to be a solo. It can be for whatever reason. Is there a, a particular voice you like to share sometimes when talking about this book or about an example of some of the, the people you had the chance to uh, talk with, to learn more about, and through that, better understand, you know, the mission that, that they had set themselves on and, and why they were so unrelenting in their commitment? Well, the very first person who, uh, who set me down this path turned out to be a friend of a friend. Um, his name is Matthew. Uh, he went by Leonidas on uh, social media, and he was one of the first people who I knew was 110% dedicated to the Snyder Cut movement. And he is someone who helped me very early on to say, like, here are the people that I think that you should talk to. Because by the time that I entered into the story, the movement was already really active in terms of generating publicity at events like San Diego Comic-Con and New York Comic-Con, where they were um, renting billboards and handing out T-shirts and um, hanging advertisement around uh, bus stations in San Diego. And they they rented a billboard in, in, Times, in Times Square during New York Comic-Con. So they were a very organized group with several people who who do not like to use the term leaders, but they were chief organizers. Um, and, but, but, but getting to try to get to talk to them was difficult because the people who were truly dedicated to it didn't really want to um, use their own names. They always wanted to keep the focus on Zach, on his wife, Debbie, um, on the people who, who uh, worked on the movie they never really wanted to steal any focus away from uh, from the from Zach and Debbie and to put it on themselves. And so it took a long time, very early on, and honestly throughout the process, to say to them, like, guys, you need to get your names on this because the story's gonna get told. And you guys have done the work, you know? So so not that I'm gonna like solely put all the focus on you, but but we need to celebrate what you've accomplished here. Um, and in time, they grew to realize that. Uh, and in time, their names got shared. Um, so there's there's people online who are really active in the movement. Uh, Cole and Nana uh, go by the names the Nerd Queens. Uh, Meg works with them a lot. Those three did Justice Con, where they had Zach on as a guest. Those three really helped me a lot early on to figure out who to talk to. Uh, to get a sense of what was happening. Uh, Gio is another guy who helped me a ton, who who was uh, on the ground at, at New York Comic-Con and uh, helping take pictures for social media with people holding the release of Snyder Cut sign. Um, I, I talked with Vinaldo for a lot early on. It was really important for me to get uh, Fiona to weigh in because many consider her to be the, the founder of the movement, someone who was there from day one. And eventually all of these people chimed in and I got their 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 takes and why this was so important to them. And it was great to get it because I truly think I got it at a time when when the movement was still so fresh and so important and so active. Uh, I, I think I honestly do think I came around at the at the ideal time 
to capture this movement right now because if I tried to tell this story after the fact, I think I would have had a much harder time uh, convincing people to to go on the record and to talk about it. Like when they were talking about it and trying to share it, they were doing it out of a sense of wanting to continue to raise awareness for the for the cut and to convince people that it was working. And so all of this information is is literally like reporting from the front lines. And um, it's just a blessing of timing. I was honestly I was honestly incredibly incredibly lucky to be there as it was happening and then to have it end before the book even finished, like to give it the proper ending. It's uh, I'm still, I'm still dumbfounded that the, that the timing worked out the way that it did. That is impeccable. I mean, really, if you're going to catch a wave of a movement, it sounds like you were in the sweet spot and you know, <laughs> what a great ride. Yeah, man, um, through no, uh, you know, just through sheer dumb luck. <laughs> I just happened to start. That's phenomenal. <laughs> Now, maybe we could point to some like undetectable subconscious, you know, thumb on the pulse of the industry thing because of your experience. Maybe that played something into it, but we'll, we'll never know. We just know that it's magic. And right now it, it's luck. And Brett, I'm sure you must have questions to follow up, my friend. What influence do you think the rise of like HBO Max as a way to distribute film had on Warner Brothers decision to put it out? Do you think that had a, a, a resource like HBO Max not existed, do you think that we would still be seeing the Snyder Cut? No, I honestly don't think it's not even close. Um, and especially when you factor in the amount of delays that COVID has caused um, on release schedules and the types of content that's playing in theaters, um, even if we were going along at a normal clip, I think it would have been difficult to get the Snyder Cut into theaters. Now that everything has been pushed back and we are about two, a two year delay in terms of things that were supposed to come out and when production went forward. Um, and, and if Zach truly has a four hour cut, you know, that he's preparing, uh, there's just no place in multiplexes for it anymore. Um, the, the, the tent poles from the major franchises that are fully established have carved out the the marketplace and so it would be really really difficult to get the snyder cut into theaters and i'm not quite sure that warner brothers would entertain that notion but the streaming service like hbo max desperately needs um exclusive content to lure subscribers they have to compete with disney plus they have to compete with netflix all of these um new streaming services are trying to say to us as potential audience members as potential customers you need to be with us because this is the only place you can see this. And so the Snyder Cut is the crown jewel of a marketing campaign like that. Like to turn around and say to DC fans, here's the movie that so many of you have been waiting for. Come subscribe to HBO Max. It's gold. It's pure gold. And and so even before they agreed to do it, I was the one I was one of the ones beating the drum of saying like, it, it only makes sense to put it on HBO Max. And and to if you want to give Zach a theatrical component later on, because he's a huge you know fan of IMAX and showing it on the theatrical side, do that also. But it, but HBO Max seemed like the very natural fit because of how desperately they need um, content that's going to lure subscribers over. And unless they uh, pushed, unless Warner Media and HBO Max pushed Warner Brothers theatrical. To resolve their issues and to get that finished, I don't think I think it would be years before we ever saw the Snyder Cut version of Justice League make it to uh, make it to audiences. Great, thank you. 
Yeah. And Seth? You know, I I know I have like so many more that I want to dig into about the the book specifically. And yet I, I also find myself, you know, pulling back for a minute and keeping in mind what uh what you were saying earlier, Sean, about the idea of how close we can get in the weeds. And there's been a couple of times I keep getting pulled into some of the details and going, that would be a great follow-up. But I, I'm also looking at the the bigger idea behind um, the movement, the book that's covering it. And I, I'm thinking also keeping that main idea in mind. You know, one of the things I loved about the reviews is how this is a book for people who are fans of DC Comics, fans of the Justice League, of DC movies, or fans of the industry, and how many different groups can, you know, really enjoy this book. Is there something that you think uh, is talked about in the book, is covered, is revealed that every single group that would read this book from every spectrum of fandom to filmdom to you name it, would be able to take away and it would be that sort of uh, through line or theme that crosses all genre boundaries uh, regarding either the book or the process or the movement or I think anything along those lines that that you would say, hey, you know, this is something everyone's going to take away from this book um, yeah. because it's so prevalent. That's a tremendous question. And um, and and this is something that I have to keep reminding myself all the time, too. And the book helped me to really zero in on it uh, as a focus is just how much um, how much fun and how exciting it is to be a fan of something uh, and to anticipate uh, a film you know, as a movie loving community that we are to truly build up the anticipation for a movie that you cannot wait to see. And for so many DC fans who really liked what Zach was doing um, in Man of Steel and in Batman versus Superman and the way the BVS introduced the the Trinity, you know, and, and, and teased out the other members of the league, how much anticipation there was to finally get the members of the Justice League together uh, on screen. And it was a it was a, a high water moment for for lifetime DC fans who hadn't yet had it and and the book does a lot to balance um, without you know going so fully into into the Marvel side of it but showing what Marvel was accomplishing uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and and the amount of um, characters and world development that Marvel was pulling off like by the time that Justice League came out you know Marvel had already done a full-on Avengers film two Avengers films had done an Ant-Man film introduced the Guardians of the Galaxy like there were a lot of worlds and characters that had been established on that side and DC you could just feel that the fan base wanted to sort of catch up you know and so uh, there's a whole chapter in the book that that is um the reactions of the fans going into uh, November 17th, 2017, and the the level of anticipation and the level of disappointment. And I think anyone as a fan of anything will be able to dial into that feeling of, I can't wait to experience something that I've been waiting for, you know, for some people their their whole life kind of thing. Um, and whether it whether it meets their expectations, whether the, whether it's up to the standards that they've set or can, sometimes can it be impossible to meet those standards. And I got stories from people that are just they're to me, they're wildly entertaining. I, I, I loved hearing people's reactions. You know, some of them are really painful. Some people were legitimately devastated by the Justice League that they got. 
And they told me stories about going back multiple times and believing like this time it's got to be better. You know, it's, it, it can't be as bad as it was. And, and you get that Superman scene that, that starts it. And it's, it's Henry's butchered face with the bad CGI to get rid of the mustache. And, you know, I, I have a whole chapter in the book that's about mustache gate, which is, you know, the explanation as to why he couldn't shave for mission impossible and the amount of money that the paramount asked Warner brothers for. And, uh, you know, the fact that they just left that unfinished CGI in the theater in the theatrical cut, like, there's so many fascinating little stories behind the scenes, but I think I think overall the book will will connect with anybody who is a passionate fan of of any type of film, honestly. Uh, but these comic book movies, these superhero movies, these adaptations of characters from the Marvel and DC side that I I believe so many of us have just loved, you know, our entire lives, and and you want to see them treated properly, and when they're not you take it uh, personal and you get really angry. <laughs> and in the case of the Snyder cut, you fight for three years to see the proper version of the characters that you adore. That That's a really great answer. And thank you for helping recover that question, which, you know, sort of meandered its way to its target, but somehow got there. And your answer was perfect. It, <laughs> it, it reminds me so well of that, you know, idea in Gatsby, you know, how can any how can anyone live up to an idea? How can anything live up to the idea that we can build it up to becoming and and what that feeling of anticipation is like? Um, thank you, Sean. That was really great. Well, man. And here's the real that. fear. Um, and and I, I can get shot on site for even saying this. <laughs> very real possibility that the Snyder Cut might not be good. Like no one knows. We put a lot of investment into this, you know, lost movie. And, you know, th- uh, there's a chunk of the fan base that's going to adore it no matter what it is. Um, but right. there's a very real chance that we might watch it and go, oh, hold on. <laughs> this doesn't this doesn't work. And so um, who knows? But <laughs> yeah, so much of the movement is even beyond the movie itself. Like, of course, I'm super excited to see the movie and I can't wait to see Zach's version. And it deserves to be out there. But um, but there's always going to be the what if question of. Oh, but if this is the version that we got in 2017, how different might DC films look uh, if we move if we continued down Snyder's version and uh, and, and continue to see the films that were supposed to follow it? So, who knows? We'll never know. Sean, I'm gonna go ahead and reach out to whatever contacts we might have, move you into protective custody, because there's no way I want you shot on site for something <laughs> like that. It's a very real possibility. Everybody needs to consider. And if I have to go in protective custody for that as well, I'm okay with it. Brad, um, you can remain silent, my friend, and and just know <laughs> that we're already stuck in this man, but you you got a choice. Which means you've got another question I can imagine if if you do, this is your opportunity. Just remember, protective custody. Okay, you're up, dude. <laughs> uh, given your interaction with the fans and, you, you know, how passionate they are, did, did writing the book affect your own fandom towards DC? Did it make you more of a fan? Oh, so much more of a fan. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 literally bizarre that I'm the one writing this because I I am a Marvel kid, uh, tried and true. Like I grew up on Marvel. I didn't read a ton of DC growing up. Some, not a lot, um, but I gravitated more to the Marvel side. Uh, I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I liked the DC films, but I wasn't as wholeheartedly passionate about them, um, including Man of Steel and BVS. But one of the things that that almost tipped me toward uh, Snyder's 
level of storytelling and the types of things he was trying to accomplish with the DCU was the um, ultimate edition of, of Batman versus Superman that I thought filled in a lot of the cracks and the storytelling gaps that I noticed in BVS. And I was like, oh, this is a far more complete version. And why wouldn't they just release this cut? So when whenever anyone mentioned that there was like a Snyder cut of Justice League, I thought, well, yeah, there's a good chance that it's much better because the ultimate edition of BVS was much better. Um, and then over the course of writing the book, I have watched and rewatched Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman and, and through extensions, the original Wonder Woman and, and James Wan's Aquaman um, repeatedly. And I'm far more dialed into uh, the DCEU than I ever was. Like I'm, I'm honestly anticipating uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League because I truly want to see the next evolution of the characters that he laid out. And I, I did feel even more personally that his vision was shortchanged by not letting him get to the point where he had laid all this groundwork to get all these characters together as a team. And so, you know, I understood why the people were fighting so hard for what they called artistic integrity, you know, to see his version of these characters uh, on screen restored the way that, that he wanted them to be. So uh, yeah, I, 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 I've become, you know, much stronger of a DC fan because of the work that I did on this book. I have the, um, I have a tablet that I read every single night when I go to bed I've got Marvel Unlimited on it, um, and I added DC Universe, and I find myself reading DC Universe far more now. Um, I'm on a Nightwing kick, and I'm I'm just going down a rabbit hole of all of his stories, and so uh, yeah, I, I think that my interest in DC is is um, paralleled to Marvel now at this point, whereas they weren't close when I started this project. Brad, that's such a brilliant question, man. And that's that's such a great answer. Sean, I love that. I love that insight. Um, so here's my challenge. I know that Josh has lined up a huge, impressive list of stories for us to move into. And the great thing is we're starting off with a lot of stuff about Zack Snyder's Justice League and some of the ways that maybe we can use that to feed into more questions. But Sean, I also know you've got, uh, you know, you've got a life and we could happily absorb <laughs> the next four hours of it. And and like, you know, like Parasite, we would just be like, what? That was yummy. Like, let's let's get more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'm thinking just for fun, if you're up for it, we start shifting into some of these topics and also sort of like see if they uncover any more insights we can glean from uh, you about the, the book and also, you know, about the Snyder Cut that people might not be aware of because I want to remind everyone your book, Release the Snyder Cut, will be coming out on March 1st and that, you know, they can go ahead and do a pre-order. It's already available, but that because of all the things you uncovered in the process, you might be able to provide us with some really fun, you know, thoughts, comments, and things about some of the movie list uh, topics we have to discuss. How's Absolutely. that sound? Yeah, of course. Let's dive into it. It's fun. Awesome. Um, so with that, that's, that's going to how that's going to be how we go ahead and shift into the fact that there is quite a bit of chatter all over the headlines when it comes to Zack Snyder. The The first one I'm going to move into, uh, switching it around on you guys as far as the list, I'm going to take our, our second topic and then use that to move into the others. And it's the fact that Zack Snyder has revealed just how much of his 
Justice League cut is complete. He did it uh, via a new social media, new to me, social media platform uh, known as Vero. And it sounds like he's about as close as you could hope he could be. Brad, I'm going to bring it to you first and then back around to Sean. What's your take on this uh, announcement? Does the number mean anything? I just, well, I I like it that he's that close to being done because that means it's probably not going to get delayed. Um, You know, this, you know, this whole past year has been a big, you know, overlapping. This is delayed. This is delayed. This is delayed. And now that we know that it's coming out in March, knowing that it's 99% done in January, that's a good, good sign that uh, we will see it in March. So to me, that was, that was, the biggest uh, positive takeaway from this. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to uh, to March. And Sean, what do you think? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, you know, people are holding on to March, and I don't know why we don't have an official date revealed. It doesn't cost them anything to just tell us when, when it's coming. Um, if anything, it's going to generate more enthusiasm, you know, for the fan base to really have a date that they can circle on the calendar. Uh, but because nothing had been fully confirmed, confirmed, um, it always meant that the date could shift to the summer very, very easily or God help us, you know, third or fourth quarter of the year, in which case we'd have to get through the entire year to wait. But when Zach comes out and says that he's that far along and finishing it, then it makes me believe fully in the March date. I know he's said March too, but I just don't know why they haven't put out like a poster or this final trailer that just tells us like, here's the day. This is when it's coming, you know, see you then kind of thing. So it, it feels like uh, it's coming really, really soon. And and there's a bunch of significant March dates that are really important to Zach. Obviously, March 1st is his birthday. Uh, BVS came out on, I believe it was March 25th or 26th. Um, so, so we'll see. We'll see which of those dates or if any of the dates in March uh, speak to him even more so and what type of day that HBO Max wants to put it on. Yeah, I'm I'm overall confident whenever somebody says yeah i'm at 99 percent. i'm gonna share it with the fan and just sort of let everybody get really excited about that and it means hopefully that it's going to be coming soon we don't have to wait until the end of 2021 for it to you know be something we can enjoy but uh sean you've raised a great point why why can't we have a date why not what's so wrong with that man these streaming services literally wait till the very last minute it's not just hbo max it's netflix does it as well too and they wait till the very last minute to uh to tell you when something's coming and i don't i don't quite understand it to be honest with you okay if anyone could i I would anticipate you know (laughs) the the likelihood that there would be some sort of you know insider vibe that you might have you know picked up where they're like hey you know i know a lot of people but this is the real reason and it sounds like they're not really saying that at all that's I'm actually as what you guys are <laughs> well that's that's comforting and at the same time you know leaves us just left asking well what what okay so instead of asking about that we can shift into uh what was the the leading uh on the list of things we're talking about regarding mr zack snyder and next on it which I think it's a really fun topic, and uh, Sean, I'm actually going to bring it around to you first, and then over to uh, Brad. The uh, the announcement or revelation or headline talking about Jared Leto open to reprising a Joker role after Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, Sean, what did you think about the idea behind the story? You know, does it fit? Uh, is there something that that 
adds to this or takes away or or some insight you take when when you hear about this kind of story well i think that actors um can tease projects all they want and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bound to happen uh or, or that it won't happen i think i think neither of them can end up being true and so uh, while it's encouraging to hear that, that jared likes working with zach i'm not surprised by that at all um and you know their collaborations immediately everybody thinks to you know a dc project or or anything else and the, their collaboration could lead to just about anything um so you know it's it's i understand why people want to get really excited and say oh that means they're going to do the joker next and it doesn't necessarily have to be that however what i will say is i don't believe that hbo max is bringing the snyder cut back uh or bringing it to to life on their streaming service and to have and at the end of it to just go well that was fun you know uh, let's move on to something else um these streaming services love to build franchises that can extend for a long period of time and we know that zach has ideas for content that he wants to tell and so as long as this movie does as well as we think it's going to um with the fan base showing up with the type of enthusiasm that they've shown over the past four years then I think HBO Max would be kind of silly to not explore ways to continue it um, to the point where, to use Wonder Woman 1984 as a very recent example, uh, you know, no sooner did it hit the streaming service HBO Max on Christmas Day uh, and, and also open in some limited capacity in theaters, but they turned around and said, we're going to do Wonder Woman 3 and Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot are both back because the interest was was that high in this project the the movie set you know streaming records for hbo max if the snyder cut does as well if not better i fully anticipate them turning around and saying hey zach what else do you want to do in this world and how do we make it happen because it's a proven fan base and the streaming services need it and it would be silly not to explore that any further so that might include uh, a project that they have in mind with Jared Leto or maybe Ben Affleck's Batman or uh, countless other places that they could potentially go. Yeah, I think that Jared Leto gets a bad, a bad rap that is not, isn't necessarily deserved. I think that he had a lot on his shoulders stepping into that role after Heath Ledger being the first person after Heath Ledger to do it. And I think when people saw the look of the Joker and Suicide Squad, some people got turned off by that. And the finished product of Suicide Squad really didn't give the Joker a whole lot of room. There was a lot going on. And in a lot of ways, Joker was just kind of a, a throwaway. So I I wouldn't mind the idea of him coming back and giving a chance to kind of redeem his take on the character because I know that he would have the talent to do it. If you've seen, you know, like Dallas Buyers Club, He's not a bad actor, so I think that he could bring something to the character. So I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it right out of the gate. And, you know, and, and Sean, I think you're exactly, you know, I, I agree 100 percent where, you know, if if they release the Snyder Cut and it does great and people just absolutely love it. Well, that's going to change Warner Brothers take on everything and everything will go back on the table. So maybe we haven't seen the last of Jared Leto's Joker. We're just going to have to, you know, wait and see once once the um, Snyder Cut uh, does come out. Uh, Seth, what was your take? 
Yeah, it's hard for me to really land on this one because I, I'm caught by a couple of things. You know, one is the idea that, uh, well, actually, first I'm going to go to something you brought up, Sean, which is, yeah, immediately after Wonder Woman 1984 came out was the announcement confirmation of Wonder Woman uh, number three, whatever that title will be. And the feeling of we feel confidently just from the initial response. And that could spin into so many other different things with, hi, Zach, how can we make you happy by, you know, letting you do whatever you want that's going to make us more money? That that could work out really well. And also the fact that we already know that HBO Max is, you know, connecting with its other cinematic projects. Like, you know, one of the stories we've had on here, and we're going to touch on it later, is the idea of a Peacemaker spinoff from Suicide Squad that'll be on HBO Max and also how there's a bit of, you know, confusion now, but there had been some early chatter about a Gotham series spinning out of the, the new Batman movie. So we know that there's a, you know, a desire to connect those things through a streaming platform like HBO Max. So I'm caught by that. Um, Brad, I think you brought up some great point, which is uh, it Heath Ledger is a really hard <laughs> act to follow. And also, I think anytime you're trying to creatively uh, interpret something for yourself, you're going to find ways to, you know, become the character, understand the character, embrace the character, wear its skin. And those are going to be definitive. And then how much of that actually gets revealed to the public based on edits can really shape how they perceive. I'm also keeping in mind the fact that the story points out that a lot of this conversation came for two reasons. One because Leto's reprising the, the Joker role for some additional photography on Justice League. And, you know, you get the band back together, you get a familiar vibe, you get to sort of, you know, enjoy that. It, it can lead to more feelings of, hey, wouldn't that be great? How, how much of it can actually, like, work out? I'd be curious to hear about later on. And then also, you know, the fact that he is, you know, talking about another project that he's got currently in the works and that he was also apparently talking about, uh, you know, called the uh, the little things with uh, Albert Sparma, Denzel Washington, uh, Rami Malek. And, you know, that's not a bad way to just connect a little bit of energy if possible or interest. So I feel like this one kind of, you know, it's interesting that it crosses a lot of different things, you know, keeping in mind what's going on when he's talking about it. But would I like to see Jared Leto come back to the character? I, I would, and I'm also intrigued by this idea, this suggestion of a, of a road-weary or um, somewhat, I don't know, just something from that road-weary made me think of a little bit more, you know, lived-in uh, life experience Joker, which would be an interesting take to see Leto uh, portray. So for me, a lot of interesting things that came up. You guys helped me think about even more, which is why it's so much fun to, to move into our next topic, which is a, a photo of Gal Gadot from Zack Snyder's Justice League that appears like our, uh, our Wonder Woman is a bit worried about something. And it, it suggests one of the reasons why, based on things we've seen from the trailer. Brad, I'm going to go ahead and bring this one up to you. Uh, significance behind the photo, the idea that it points to something in the trailer that would be troubling for Diana Prince and and more. What was your thoughts on this little teaser? Well, she definitely looks concerned and worried. And you got you know you have to wonder what would make Wonder Woman that worried if she's that powerful. So I'm going to assume that it's Dark Side. Um, but uh, you know, once again, uh, we'll have to wait and see. And it, it also makes me 
more excited to see this new trailer that they're hinting that they're going to release soon. So I, I'm having a feeling here that we're going to get a little more of this about exactly what's going on when we get to see uh, the next trailer. And hopefully that's uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, Sean, what was your take? So there's two uh, Diana moments that Zach has chosen to share. It's interesting that a lot of the early stuff that Zach is choosing to share outside of the trail that he brought to DC fandom has been Diana focused. Um, he showed the clip of her uh, finding the dark side ca uh, cave paintings or paintings on the wall um, with the torch in her hand. Uh, and now this image, uh, this shot of Diana looking really um, worried. And to me, that looked like it was taken shortly after she saw the arrow that was fired by the uh, Amazons to alert her to the fact that there is a danger coming. But now that we're talking about it, I kind of think that that's the outfit that she's wearing when she sees the, the, the wall painting too. Isn't, is it not? Is it refresh my memory? I kind of think that, that she's wearing the same thing. Yeah, I think it is. So there could be this entire sequence of Diana putting, you know, a few things together in a more elaborate way than we saw in theatrical cut of her like a being told this warning from Themyscira of, Hey, something horrible is happening. Uh, Cause she knows that that's what the arrow has to indicate. Um, but then also going on her own uh, to research what the threat could potentially be. And then realizing that there are these, you know, ancient paintings of dark side and the mother boxes and the threat that's coming. Uh, it, it says to me how much the Snyder cut is going to, yes, kind of tells similarly the beats of the story that we saw in theatrical cut, but, but just let them breathe and expand and find more um, just color, uh, you know, ways to sort of color in <laughs> within the lines and fill in uh, the gaps of the story. And it just looks far more intriguing, but I, I am fascinated by the fact that Zach is choosing to focus very heavily uh, his early promotions of his Justice League on on Diana and Gal Gadot. And it makes me wonder how much her influence is going to, going to extend throughout the uh, the course of, of his cut. I think that's a really great idea. I agree with that, you know, recognition of the fact that there is a lot of emphasis on uh, Diana, Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman, and what that could mean for her role in the movie. Um, and I think you guys both brought up, you know, something really interesting, which is, how this plays into expanding the knowledge of, of what the story was for the characters as well as for the audience. And then, you know, Sean, completely agree with that idea of letting things breathe long enough for it to set in realistically for the characters, for the audience, and also to color that in by giving it other connections. Um, I like the idea of you know, talking about the arrow, which is the signal and then also how there's like a, you know, a relatively short time period in which that and the information that's uncovered in the caves then connects to Wonder Woman's better or greater understanding of the threat that they're facing. And also what the it feels like the, the deepening of the impact would be to understand who Darkseid is and, and what he means and, and what that threat uh, can I think mean if it doesn't feel like it's being rushed past, you know, if there's that sense of like one of the hardest things in the world when it comes to something bad happening is waiting for it to happen. Like whenever I got in trouble as a kid, 
it wasn't that I got in trouble. It was that I had to wait for that other parent figure to come home, you know, the authoritarian who was coming down the line. And <laughs> there was always that, oh, man, the waiting, the waiting makes it just more ominous. And maybe that's just me. But I, I did get that feeling of like, wow, yeah, if we if we let that sink in for people, then it can it can feel that much more of a, a powerful concept that you're going up against. And I think that can add to that sort of um, emotional gravity that I, I believe Justice League is capable of with the new cut. And I, I think keeping that in mind, as well as the, you know, the need for, you know, understanding the emotions of the characters and the actors involved, we get a really interesting story in which uh, two stories that I'm going to sort of combine here together. One is that Ray Fisher Cyborg won't be participating in upcoming DC films, yet he and uh, Ray Porter are both uh, wholeheartedly supporting the Restore the Snyder uh, verse trend and their desire to, you know, put themselves uh, as, as much support as they can, apparently, for this project that they were both involved in. Um, Sean, I'm actually going to go ahead and lead off with you on this one. What's your take on this story? And, you know, these two that I've sort of combined, Ray Fisher's future involvement with DC, but also his support of Zack Snyder and the work that they did together so far. Yeah, it's a big question mark right now um, because Ray is um, is doing his part to to raise accountability from people who he is, is saying what he was wronged by. Uh, during his time on Justice League. And, uh, you know, it, it's a hard story to comment on because we just don't know all the details. And um, there was an internal investigation that Ray pushed uh, really hard to to get at Warner Brothers. Um, and But he still holds the current DC Films president, uh, Walter Hamada, according to his most recent tweet, uh, holds him uh, responsible for a lot of the behavior that happened. So it's almost become you know, as someone who's just looking at it from the outside, uh, looking in, it looks like it's become a standoff between, uh, Ray Fisher and Walter Hamada. And so the question becomes, you know, who prevails in that, in that instance, Ray says he does not want to be involved in any DC projects that Walter Hamada is attached to, but at the moment, right. Uh, Walter Hamada is not going anywhere. Um, and so I don't know who has more power in this situation because we just truly don't know uh, what's going on behind the scenes. And and um, until we know whether Walter Hamada is going to be staying on board as the president of DC Films, um, or if, you know, Ray is going to hold to his guns and say that he's truly not going to work on any DC projects that Hamada is part of, uh, we're at a bit of a standstill. So um, it's one of those ones where I kind of just want to see how it plays out. I, I don't feel 100% comfortable commenting without having all of the details, but that that seems to be where we are right now. Yeah, I, I feel the same way in that we don't really exactly know a lot of details. So I, I, I come to it from a fan's perspective. And I, I always liked that Ray Fisher was willing to stick around and, and still play that character and, you know, let let the vision, Zach's vision play out. So I'm glad he's going to at least be around for that even though, you know, it'd be nice to see that continue, especially given that if the Snyder Cut is successful, it may kind of rekindle some of those projects like the Cyborg movie. And it would be nice to see Ray Fisher still associated with that. But, 
given the bad blood, I knew that, you know, Ray Fisher sticking around couldn't last forever. So sorry to see him go, but, you know, I don't know the facts, so it's hard for me to comment, uh, you know, other than saying I, I, I kind of expected him to step away at some point. Uh, Seth, what was your take? It's really difficult. I, you know, I, I want him to be courageous in, you know, his pursuit of bringing light of, you know, holding to his position and holding uh, others accountable for the actions that he's raising and the uh, the questions that it brings up for how things were handled and who is involved. And right now that is centered on someone who, Sean, as you pointed out, isn't going anywhere. I, I, uh, I find it interesting that I'm going to move us actually after this into that next uh, subject or story that we have and talking more about uh, Hamada and, and how he was sort of the catalyst for this discussion to begin. But I'm, I'm also struck by the fact that Brad, you pointed out, you know, Fisher has been such a, you know, supporter and fan of Zack Snyder, of the work he's done. Uh, I love this quote that was in the article about his uh, support coupled with Porter's, which is what the fans say is canon. And that's just a, <laughs> that's a lovely tip of the hat and recognition of, you know, you don't get here on your own and you certainly don't continue without the support of these fans. So then keeping that in mind with his decision to stick to his beliefs stick to uh, a position that he's taking that he won't be moved from and and recognizing that now at this stage it means not doing any more uh, DC films is is difficult because it, it leaves a lot of uh, questions that are easy to speculate about which you guys have both you know pointed out you know there's not any way to do that with any sort of um, responsibility and any um, information beyond what we have now and, and that just leads to speculation but also this idea that because of that we've you know got so much more to reconsider because of his role in upcoming projects like the flash movie and others that we would have loved to have seen ray fisher continue to show us some wonderful things i thought were in store for cyborg and now that all has to be reconsidered well, um, but, I, there's two other factors to this, too, that I uh, I still find really intriguing. One is that so many other members of the league seem to have their DC projects lined up next. Like, we, we've been told that they're going to do Wonder Woman 3, so Gal Gadot is c coming back with Patty Jenkins. We know James Wan is working on Aquaman 2. Ben is coming back um, to play Batman in The Flash, which is a vehicle for Ezra. So the two who are in limbo right now appear to be Ray Fisher and Henry Cavill. Um, and I, I thought we would get some type of confirmation about either of them, um, but we haven't yet. The other aspect, too, that is, you know, if Ray Fisher and, and Cyborg, if they end up becoming the heart of Justice League, the way that Zack has repeatedly said that Cyborg's character ends up becoming the heart of the movie, um, then recasting would be really difficult. You know, if the fans love his interpretation of it, uh, I don't think it would be as easy. I think in any other kind of franchise, you can explore the idea of potentially recasting somebody. Um, but I think that Snyder's fans are so passionate about this interpretation of, of these characters that I don't think that the studio would get the benefit of the doubt if they tried to recast. So I, I think they've everyone's sort of painted each other into a really difficult corner. And I'm going to be fascinated to see how it plays out. 
I couldn't have said that any better. And that's one of the reasons why I'm sort of stuck like with, well, well, where do we go from here? Because <laughs> it seems like, yeah, as you point out, Sean, they really have point paid each other into different corners. And if he does become the heart of the Justice League movie and there's such a fan response that things have to be looked at again, I, I would be really amazed at, at what kind of story would come out of that and, and how it could unexpectedly change this very topic that we're talking about and and take on a whole new meaning not only for the character but also for yet again a, another unexpected you know uh, benefit of this uh snyder cut that we are getting a chance to see so that would be that would be huge thanks for bringing both of those up um man please don't hold back if you have more of those sneaking in at any point along the way with any of these stories because that was awesome i was like really Really? What do I say now? Except that's really cool. And now I have more to think about and probably less to contribute, but definitely more to think about. Thanks, Sean. That's awesome. Um, wow. Uh, Brad, any follow up on that? Any of the stuff that was just brought up? I just started like, you know, gushing a little bit there. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing. And I think, you know, the more I learn it, just the more I get excited about what's coming. So uh, yeah, Sean, thank you for that, because now my my hype is picked even that much more now. So, yeah, thanks. <laughs> thank you for that. Sure. Yeah. yeah, now I'm waffling between I was going to leapfrog uh, the next story and move into more about, you know, uh, expanding. And then, OK, so I'm just going to stick with the list because, Josh, sometimes it just happens that, you know, you line things up so well. So when it comes to everything else <laughs> about Snyder Cut, what's in a name? Right. How much does a name really matter? And is there a clue in a recent ad for HBO Max that suggests that the name of the Snyder Cut won't actually feature Zack Snyder's name in any way, shape or form? Brad, I'm going to you first on this one. Um, the suggestion is that Justice League will appear under a different name. What, what did you think about that idea? And does it have a meaning? I, I don't really think that it has much more of a meaning and just that it uh, that the idea of calling it a director's cut, more people will understand what that means. There might be a lot of people, and I think the article talks about this too, is that there might be a lot of people out there that don't really know who Zack Snyder is. And calling it a director's cut makes it automatically more under, relatable and understandable to a mass audience that might want to tune in and watch it. So that that was that was my my takeaway from from calling it simply the the director's cut. Uh, Sean, what do you think? Yeah, I'm so torn on this. There's so many people who want to call it so many different things. Um, I, I love the symmetry of just sticking with the Snyder cut. Um, that's probably me biased because I wrote a book called Release the Snyder Cut. <laughs> so I <kind laughs> like just calling it the Snyder cut. Um, it also feels like, and again, this this is hard when we're in this bubble, you know, of constantly talking about DC films and, and talking about Zack and his work on Justice League, that if you just called it the Snyder Cut, you know, that people might not be aware of what it is. But anytime that you're you're associating any kind of marketing with characters like Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, I think people are already in the door, you know. So how much heavy lifting do we really have to be doing here to to let people know what it is that they're about to get into? Um, the title of it means 
it means very little to me. Um, I'm just happy we're seeing it. Call it what you want. You know, I, I honestly don't care at this point. I just want to see it. And so it's been amusing in a way to see the fan base uh, that, that likes to get into scraps on social media, uh, mixing it up over whether it should be called Zack Snyder's Justice League or the director's cut of Justice League. Or who, just, just put it out. Who knows? Call it what you want. <laughs> I'm so, just, I just want to see it. <laughs> I love both those perspectives. I, I mean, Brad, you know, I, I have to yield to your logic because you, you point out something really well. Director's cut is common. You know, it's, it's so well recognized in the minds of uh, people, whether they are film fans, whether they are film fanatics, director's cut means something. And it has a greater relevance than Snyder cut might mean for people who don't really know who Zack Snyder is. They don't really follow directors that way. Uh, it's just not a, a pertinent detail for them. And yet, um, Sean, I'm not biased just because of your book, but I'm sure it's it's a good reason to. And when I've had the chance to digest it, I, I, I will probably be more biased. But right now, what really sticks for me is the fact that this whole thing began with the idea of releasing something. And it wasn't called the director's cut. It was called the Snyder cut. And I think if you want to give credit where credit's due, you call it Justice League, the Snyder Cut, and the Snyder Cut Justice League, you make it work. But Snyder is the reason this all happened. Uh, it's the reason there's such a fervent, you know, fan base. And I think it's the reason that the name deserves to be part of the name. I I think also, granted, Director's Cut has, you know, a universal meaning, perhaps. Well, hey, maybe it's time to create one for Snyder Cut, too. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go ahead and step out on that branch. I don't know if it's creaking. You guys will have to hear me, you know, tell me about that. But I do feel like there is something to be said for all of those fans, and I would love to give them uh, the recognition they deserve. I think Snyder Cut uh, would be a great way to do that. However, I'm, I'm, I'm not the guy in those meetings, you know, being asked whether or not. So how much you guys are going to listen, totally up to you. I'm, I'm curious to hear more. We, uh, we use this to shift into more of our uh, movie news, but we still stay just a little bit on the side of uh, Snyder Cut information because our next topic moves into how much Warner Brothers is planning to massively increase DC Film and HBO Max's slate of products. Uh, ooh, who do I go to first on this one? Sean, I'm going to go to you. You know, now we're talking about more about the idea of the plan that's being laid out by uh, by Hamada that that's involving so much more that that could be an issue in the future for everything that we've been talking about from Snyder to Ray Fisher and more. What did you think about this? Uh, you know, expectation of more things on the horizon. Uh, it scares me a lot uh, because this is the same type of talk from a studio that got themselves into into trouble in the first place. <laughs> um, I'm intrigued. I, you know, I think some of these ideas can be really exciting. Um, you know, the first, one of the first ones that we heard about was a Gotham police department television show that was going to be, you know, spun off of Matt Reeves's Batman, which sounds like a great idea on paper, but we haven't yet seen Matt Reeves's Batman. So we don't know if it works. Um, and and the showrunner who was going to be involved with this show has left already. 
Um, and so then you hear Walter Hamada say in an interview that like every DC pro project that they want coming to theaters needs to have an HBO Max component to it. Like I, that's not a um, stipulation that I want built into uh, a project. I want you to do an HBO Max spinoff because it makes sense, because you have a good idea. And back in the day uh, when Zach is doing Man of Steel and working on BVS and David Ayer is working on Suicide Squad, Warner Brothers turned around and they were like, and here are the next 10 DC films we're going to be doing. And even at the time, I was like, well, that's pretty exciting. But like, who are your filmmakers and what are the stories you're going to be telling? And DC has had a habit of announcing projects without really having um, the driving force creatively behind it. And I don't think that that works for them. Like, wait until you have somebody who's coming around and saying to you, like, I have a great pitch for a Superman movie or uh, I have an excellent pitch for a, an HBO Max show. You know, that's going to be but 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 announcing these things in advance or saying that a, a DC movie has to have an HBO Max component doesn't get me 100 percent excited just because it means more DC. I want more good DC. I don't want more DC because the, the higher ups, the corporate executives have demanded it. So I'm nervous. Honestly, I'm nervous by the idea that they want to cram that much DC out. Um, I'd rather they invest in stuff that works because they know it's going to work and not just because they want more stuff on the streaming service. You know, I I think Sean that you do raise some very valid uh, valid concerns, I, and I I tend to to come to these stories kind of with uh, you know a bit of cynicism, and until it goes into active production, I, I have my doubts. Like the trench movie, the Aquaman spinoff, will we ever see that? I couldn't tell you. I'm not very optimistic about that. But I will say that. You know, also, like you were saying, there is potential. Some of these could be really good. And, you know, on the podcast, we we have kind of a reoccurring theme that it's kind of a golden age to be, uh, you know, as a D DC fan with everything that's going on. And part of me thinks that, you know, even if half of these projects are good, then we have some amazing content to look forward to. But I, I, I just think that there's a lot of unknowns still. Like you were saying, you know, we haven't seen Matt Reeves' Batman. Uh, we haven't seen the Snyder Cut. So we don't exactly know exactly how these are going to be received, you know, both critically and commercially. So, uh, you know, we'll see over the next uh, couple of years. So I'll say this, like, James Gunn is doing this Peacemaker series, and at least that came from a point where the studio said to him after he had finished this movie and after they theoretically have seen the work that's been done on it and said, Hey, if there's a character from here that you would love to keep going with, who would it be? So at least that's being sprung from a, a place of creativity where mm -hmm. a filmmaker is saying, Oh, I would want to keep going in this direction. And they were like, great, go do that. And if that's what, uh, you know, informs all of these decisions going forward, then terrific. I'm on board, but in, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic like you guys are. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm cautious. I, I want to be optimistic. Sean, I'm not going to lie, man. You got me a little more nervous than I was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and with good reason. You brought up some great points. I wasn't looking at it with that same historical lens. But if this is a pattern that hasn't worked in the past, you know, it's been quoted enough in projects now that I think people are familiar with that idea of what happens when you try and do things over and over again and expect different results. There's a name for it, 
there's a reason why they reference it so often and it's usually not in a positive way so i have concerns as well because i i think i was thinking as i was listening to you talk about why this can be something to be nervous about and the first thing that came to mind was well yeah if you're planning ahead in advance but you're not thinking about what the reaction might be or whether or not there's any organic connections like actually something that feels like it it feeds into or spins out of then how can you really feel that this is something that is viable or the right decision but then you point to a great example which is suicide squad is done they've seen the finished project maybe even there's been a pitch talking about great chemistry that exists uh, between uh, John Cena and I believe at least one character we know is coming over, which is the guard uh, or warden, I believe, who name is totally escaping me. But for me, that says, okay, well, if they have great chemistry in the movie, then why not use that as part of another story that you can tell on HBO Max? That that makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm confident and comfortable in that approach. You you've seen what works well and you want to use it to keep doing stuff. That, that seems like a really logical approach, but then taking this long road viewpoint and then, man, it's going to bug me now because this is going to be something I'm thinking about every time. Sean, no, no, I'm not mad at you, but I'm grateful because <laughs> now I have to think about the idea of who is attached to it. Why should I be excited for it? You know, it, it was harder for me a while back to get excited for a Flash movie because as someone who grew up, you know, watching uh, John Wesley's ship back in the 90s, I've been waiting for this for a long time, but when I started hearing about why uh, the director they chose was excited and what his passion was behind the project, I could believe in it more. I felt like there was something really grounded in the story that, that the director wanted to tell and that I felt everyone was excited about. I have no reason to get excited for these future projects yet. The names sound great, but the connections that now I'm going to be looking for, uh, I'm going to need to see before I can be more confident or less nervous. I don't know how you're feeling less nervous or more confident after that. Maybe this will change your viewpoint because our next story points out that there are some things to be confident about. And one of them is Wonder Woman, who worldwide has already broken $100 million for the recent 1984. I thought this was a really uh, encouraging bit of news and having just watched the film last night and really enjoying myself uh, I'm a little less nervous now but Brad I'm also curious to hear what you think my friend yeah given the fact that this came out on streaming and people didn't have to go to the movie theaters and it still made 100 million nuts and given so many theaters are closed especially in America's biggest markets um you know, that uh, it is, you know, reason to be optimistic. Uh, you know, that's, that's good to see. And it just, you know, it looks like maybe had COVID not happened and this had gotten released, it may have been able in its theatrical run to reach a billion worldwide. So, which is kind of a shame, but it is still good to see that it has a lot of um, commercial muscle. Uh, so... Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm also optimistic about it. Uh, Sean, what was your take? I We needed to get back to some form of normalcy. Um, I know it's been really hard, and I know that it hasn't been the safest to get people back to theaters, but I know you guys mentioned this earlier in the show. We went through you know, this entire year of 2020 with just delays 
and um, pushbacks. And it was it was time for studios to figure out how to get new movies out in front of people to just get the cycle spinning again. And so if it meant doing it as a combination streaming service and limited theatrical run just so people could start seeing it again, then do that. And I understand that it's not great for theaters. And I, I want the theaters to come back as strong as possible because I'm a huge fan of the theatrical going experience. But I also understand that this is an unusual time right now and it's going to take some compromises. And so I was thrilled that fans were able to, on Christmas Day, get not just Wonder Woman 1984, but Disney had Soul. Um, Tom Hanks had News of the World in theaters. Like it, it felt like normal again. There were three big movies to talk about. And as somebody who has spent his entire life writing about and speaking about movies, it felt like a step in the right direction and uh, at a time when, when we really, really needed it. There was definitely that feeling of optimism. And for me, uh, man, it for me, it was a childhood tradition because my father always worked on Christmas Day for whatever reason. He could just he always got double pay. And the deal was either he was working until like 3 p.m., or some other time and we would have to go to the movies so my mom could convince us that it was you know not that long until dad got home and we could actually open presents so movies for me had always been that great lifeline and the idea that people wouldn't have that option for christmas or that they you know would lose that that feeling it was really a difficult idea to keep in mind as so many other things we were losing and and sort of you know losing touch with I love that that this movie gives us not only, you know, um, proof that if you give people options, they can find the best way that works for them, the safest option available to them. And that through it, you know, granted, um, and I can only imagine, John, that your insight, you know, just from your experience is, is even more informed. But it felt like there was a safe way for box offices to try and bring back that sense of normalcy that you were describing. And it sounds like this is an example of it being successful. And also still, I mean, you had the option, whatever felt best for you to either go to the theater, stay at home. Um, I had just flown. So I was waiting on a COVID test result to make sure I was safe to be in public again, which I recently got was a negative. Yahoo. Um, and, and thankful for, but that feeling of like, hey, if that wasn't an option for me to go to a theater, I could just stream it from home, knowing that that was the safest thing for me to do for me, for others. And you had that choice and that it's gained so much so quickly. It also gives me this feeling of we were looking for that. We were looking for something that could lift us up. And then on top of it, you know, John, I thank you for pointing out that, yes, Soul News of the World were also available there was that feeling that we were getting closer back to. There's a vaccine that's in the process of bringing a, another form of relief for us, and we're working more closely towards something that feels like what we can remember. That's a huge thing to keep in mind, and and also reason to, I think for me, get excited about the fact that our next story talks about another DC movie on the horizon that, uh, I honestly wasn't really comfortable saying the filmmaker's name because I wanted to glance at this earlier when I was trying to talk about the Flash movie. And now I've looked at it and I'm still pretty sure I'm going to mess up the name. Uh, but Andy Muschietti and Ezra Miller will be starting on the Flash film in April. And it just feels like another highlight of 2021, another reason why the year is already looking better than the one we just had. 
Sean, I'm going to you first. What was your uh, response to this announcement and uh, the next DC movie that uh, is starting production? Same as yours, progress, you know, uh, continued steps forward, uh, which is just really exciting, Um, especially on Flash, which is a a film that has been delayed so often and had its directors switched multiple times. And I think landing on Andy Muschietti is a great way for them to move forward. He seems really passionate about the project. The news that broke around fandom about Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck being involved, the idea that the multiverse is going to become so important to both the DC side and the Marvel side, it's just all of that is very exciting. It's, and it all feels just like um, we're rolling forward. It's, I'm of the mindset that we are in this golden age of, of comic book adaptations and superhero stories. And you, you wait, like with every genre, they have a, a really strong run and then they tend to fade away. Um, buddy cop movies, uh, 80 slasher films, uh, 70s political thrillers, you know, like uh, they have their time and, and then they sort of play themselves out. The comic book genre has been around for 20 years now at this point, strong anyway, you know, it's been around longer than that, but, but it's been in its, in its heyday for 20 years now. And the more that these foundations get laid, the more these, the bricks get built into the wall, it feels like we have at least another 20 years of storytelling ahead of us. And I, I I couldn't be more thrilled. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Exactly what I was going to, going to say, um, Given it's so nice to see this moving forward specifically because there has been so many changes to the production and we just didn't know how long it would be stuck in limbo or if it would ever happen. And now that it's actually going in and starting filming and that's just that's just it's just great. It is a step forward. And, you know, it's great that that um, we were at the point that the idea of a multiverse is such common knowledge that we can talk about it freely and have it in these big mainstream superhero movies when before it would be something that would be kind of regulated to people who read the comics. So it is kind of a golden age because this, this entertainment is such a huge cultural mover. And you're right, Sean, it does not seem to be slowing down. So this is just, this is great. We, uh, I think that, um, that, this does. This is another thing that has uh, potential to be some some great content. Seth, what was your take? Pure bliss, just you know, unbridled. <laughs> First comic book I ever owned was a gift in the seventh grade from uh, my friend Josh, and it was Flash number forty nine, and it introduced me to Wally West and Vandal Savage, and I thought I loved the character, and then I read that book and all the other books, and I mean that was that was my first introduction to just how much hope Barry Allen, Wally West, the the Flash legacy meant. And it was really hard to keep that when, as you guys both did such a great job pointing out, you know, there was so much changing directors. At some point, I was really quite certain that that I was going to be reading some story about Ezra Miller trying to do his own sort of like, you know, Deadpool thing, which is like, how can I make this project happen on my own? I'm just going to, you know, slave away at it, strive away at it, you know, and, and somehow. And it seems like finally there's a director, there's a story, there's a commitment, the announcement that we're going to do this. And man, the guys, ah, the stuff you guys brought up, you know, the, the concepts of the multiverse that are going to be introduced, you know, the Sean, you pointed out, you know, the way so many people reacted and and the excitement that came with what does it mean to have Michael Keaton, to have Ben Affleck be a part of this 
Brad, as you pointed out so well, the multiverse finally becoming something that's part of the cinematic world and not just something that fans can return back to in comics, but they can actually see in some way start to play out on big screens. It's it's huge. It was stuff that I can remember being a kid and I'd try and talk to my dad or mom about like, yeah, I'm reading this story about this thing that happens, but there's this other universe. You've got to understand there's a multiverse and they're all a little different. And have you seen that TV show Sliders? It's not even close, but here's where I'm going to. And it, it became it became difficult. And now <laughs> we have a reference point that might help us explain these ideas more and also live them out uh, on the big screen with uh, with my favorite character. There's plenty of reasons why I'm gushing. Thankfully, this isn't video because I'd probably also be seen blushing. It's it's a lot of excitement for me. And every time I see um, Ezra and I see these little quirks that he does in front of the camera, that feels like a knowing wink of just like, I know you're watching me and I'm just going to show you what I'm, you know, what my range is capable of. I feel like what he can bring to Flash is going to be really heartfelt and I'm going to be really grateful to uh, see what he and Andy Muschietti do. Um, We've been talking for a little while. We've got still TV streaming news and comic book news. And before that fires up, we're going to take a quick ad break. When we come back, we've got TV streaming, some comic book news. More importantly, we have an amazing guest for us on our 100th episode, Mr. Sean O'Connell. Thanks for hanging out with us. And we'll be right back with this quick ad break over and more to talk about. Hey there, DC fans. This is Josh Rayner, editor-in-chief of DC Comics News, here to give you a special deal from Insight Editions. Insight Editions is an amazing company who uh, sells books and collectibles uh, from all sorts of pop culture, whether it be DC Comics, Marvel Comics, uh, movies like Die Hard, Harry Potter, Alien, everything out there in the world you can you can find. You got books, collectibles, uh, pop-up greeting cards. They have all kinds of amazing items. And right now, through January 8th, you can get 35% off site-wide by using the code DCNEWS35. That's D-C-N-E-W-S-3-5. DCNEWS35. Use that code until January 8th and receive 35% off site-wide at InsightEditions.com. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack, Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now... The third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. 
I am the night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the night. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley f***ing Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making Bat Shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Gogurt. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat them, nuts. I definitely do not f*** bat. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't f*** with Lois Lane. For f***'s sake. I'm a damn good cop. A lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. Hello listeners, this is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. Picture this, someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV, and video games. A complete ultra-comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A podcast by fans. For fans. Making new fans. Superheroes. Or dummies. Part of the Comics in Motion Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? I am Kelly Gaines for DC Comics News. I am Tony Hasty for this show. And we are here to introduce our new show, DCN After Dark. This is the late night talk show for all of the wild ideas, fascinating concepts, and scandalous tales straight from the DC Universe. We are not going to hold any punches. We are going to give all of our opinions straight off the dome, and sometimes we'll be writing it down. It is not for the faint of heart. It is not for the sensitive ears. It is not for any children. Viewer discretion is going to be advised because we are going to be swearing a lot. Yes. Yeah. And possibly, maybe by episode five, getting to our hundredth joke. (laughs) (laughs) Here's hoping. We're going to have guests on this show. We're going to be guests on other shows, but we're not going to finish this sentence. <laughs> off, the t- off the cuff. Let's go. Off the cuff. Off the cuff. Anything off, you want. Anything you cuff. want. Scooby-Doo would be a better detective than Jim Gordon. There you go. That's that is what this whole show is about. That's what the show is about. We're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about stuff like that. Should we have seen more of the bat? Go. No, no one had to see more of the bat. No, I didn't want God damn it. Look, all right. We're going to Scooby-Doo, DCN After Dark. Check us out. Watch us without your kids. And if you are a kid, 
you shouldn't have even seen this promo. Drink recipes, content creation, reviews, unsolicited advice, and very inappropriate jokes. Yes. And a Santa, uh, an un unseasonable Santa hat. Except it's seasoned, but whatever. Check us out. <laughs> Not getting rid of the Santa hat. <laughs> Available exclusively on YouTube. And boom, just like that, quicker than a flash, quicker than you thought. The ad break is over. We are here to talk more with you. We've got TV streaming news. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. I'm hanging out with Brad Felicki. I'm hanging out with Sean O'Connell, author of a book about this idea you might have heard of about the Snyder Cut. We've been talking with him. He's been so awesome to share his insight on all of the uh, great movie topics that we had, both Snyder-related and also Snyder uh, sort of next to adjacent. We're now moving into TV and streaming news, and fans recently had the chance to see the new Superman and Lois trailer. Um, man, okay, you know, Sean, I have to go to you instinctually in my mind first. You've seen a few trailers in your time, I take it, maybe, maybe one or two, three or four, uh, given your career in writing about uh, film and television and Oh, for the most part, projects that involve trailers. What was your take on this new uh, Superman and Lois trailer? I still am not quite certain that t TV is the place for the Man of Steel. Um, he's a hard character for people to figure out on the big screen. There's so much that comes with him. Um, and when they do him on TV, he, he just feels small scale to me. Um, so while I thought the trailer was intriguing, I still just think Superman deserves to be seen on the big screen. That's just my that's my personal bias right there. One one, although I do agree that Superman does, you know, belong on the big screen. One thing that the show may have going for it is the fact that effects look better now than they ever have. So hopefully they can use that to their advantage. Um and, and one thing, you know, that uh, I took away from this trailer is that it is definitely going to be family driven. And that is very a different spin on Superman that we haven't seen on screen. We've seen it in the in the comics, but it's going to be interesting to how fans respond to the fact that Superman and Lois have kids. So that's that's going to be uh, interesting. But, you know, Sean, like you are, I, I'm intrigued. So. Uh, you know, we'll see when it's released. Uh, Seth, what was your take? It's confusing for me right now. I agree that, you know, one, I'm more off. My first experience with Superman as far as visual media was seeing him on the big screen. Christopher Reeve, larger than life, you know, blow your mind kind of experience. So to bring it to the small screen was always a challenge. I never got into the uh, Superboy television show. I watched a little bit of the first year of Smallville and then struggled with the teen angst high school thing. Um, and up until now, I, I've been sort of looking to see whether or not that was even something that would be attempted. I liked Tyler Hoechlin, I believe it is, and the job he did on Supergirl. But this trailer doesn't give me the same sort of confidence that I've enjoyed from his performance so far. 
And it felt like, yes, Brad, I agree, a lot of family um, focus on this one. And the trailer doesn't doesn't give me an emotional reaction to it. It, it left me with some interesting questions, which I'm wondering if that's enough to keep me, you know, uh, coming back to the show on a regular basis, especially that final image of him, you know, Superman holding all of these things together, uh, all of the, the pieces of his family. And also knowing that there is this possible connection from Doomsday Clock and the idea of Superman having two boys and how that can play into maybe something more compelling uh, as far as the storylines go with this series. But I'd had already, unfortunately, before I came across this story, seen some negative responses to the trailer, this feeling of it being okay or a bit... Um, not underwhelming, but maybe just whelming. For some, definitely underwhelming. And it, it didn't inspire me right away. So I'm, I'm curious to see if maybe I'll take another look at it. I'll have a different feeling. But I, I did have the feeling that I wanted more. And maybe that will happen between now and, and February 23rd, I believe, is when the uh, first episode is set to appear. So it wasn't the initial response I was hoping for, but I still have hope. Does that make sense? Uh, <laughs> as as we move through TV and streaming, uh, there is an image that really I'm feeling pretty hopeful about and encouraged, especially about the upcoming Batman season two. And that has something to do with uh, the baton and the cowl that is being passed to Ryan Wilder. And Brad, I wanted to come around to you first on that one. Yeah, this is another thing that helps um, add to the uh, excitement, my anticipation for the second season. Although admittedly, uh, it doesn't show us anything new. It wasn't uh, wasn't like the trailer that we saw not too long ago. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm definitely uh, definitely intrigued about what what the second season is uh, is going to be. Uh, Sean, what was your takeaway? Yeah, I I, I found that to be really interesting um, when the lead of a show leaves because you know the, in theory the the schedule that it takes to put these shows together is too grueling. Um, but the beauty of television is that it's, it is easier to to pivot uh, and, and bounce to a different character. Whereas if you're in the middle of a film franchise, let's say, and your lead doesn't want to do it anymore, uh, you really got to bend over backwards to make it work. Um, I'm intrigued. I thought there were some, a number of really interesting story points that were laid out in the first season that I was curious to see where they were going to go with it. Now it seems like they've been freed up to do something totally different. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how they're going to transition into that. But um, I don't know, with, with all of these characters, especially on the TV side, and the way that we've seen different versions of these classic characters play out, the audience feels a lot more flexible and willing to, piv to pivot and transition when a show does this. And so I'm, I'm just sort of fascinated to see where it's going to go from here. And I like the casting. And so, um, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But it feels like the waves are, are less choppy when a show tries to do this. And so I think that, you know, Batwoman sort of uh, benefiting from from that, uh, the fact that it's it, that they can make this move without disrupting continuity too drastically. I think that's probably one of the parts that's impressed me the most since the, the decision by Ruby Rose to leave and the announcement for a new casting followed by all of the announcements that have followed has been for me is that at first there was the question of how are they going to pull this off? 
and then it just seems that there has been this wave of excitement about the new casting, the enthusiasm from the new actor, um, the the fan interest in things like at Fandom where they were showing costume concepts that people had submitted and how some of those elements were later revealed in a costume that we know is also supposed to evolve with the rest of the show, which I think is a really um, interesting component to include as part of the you know, development and evolution. And and also with this character, I, I like the idea of it, you know, hearkening to a little bit of a Jason Todd feel, you know, a character who's been figuring life out on the streets and has a chance to do more and be more with the right resources. And but also try and live up to a legacy of someone who's no longer even there to have finished whatever their legacy was going to be. Um, so I love that there's a lot of questions that felt daunting early on and now feel like they're more exciting when it comes to the show and this season too. And I also love the fact that there should be some really um, powerful experiences for the characters that we know were from the first season that have connections with the first Batwoman and that will now be trying to reconcile those with a new Batwoman and forging a relationship that's different, but also going to have to, you know, at some points, um, address the fact that there was a, a history prior and how that can help or sometimes get in the way of uh, this new Batwoman and the job she wants to do. I I think for the most part, it it was just the idea that when I looked at this image, I thought, all those questions I have again <laughs> and I'm wondering how they're going to play out. And that was probably the biggest thing for me. It didn't tell me anything new. It just seemed to revive all of those questions that have come up so far in discussions we've had about this and all the topics that have come out of there's going to be a Batwoman season two. And these are the things you can expect. The, uh, the passing of the cow. It's a great image for me to, to keep all those things in mind. And it's our last TV and streaming news story because it's time to move into some of our comic headlines. And the first leading that off is the possibility that DC Generation Shattered Number 1 has a preview that's available online, and it might have some clues about how this fits into Infinite Frontier. Uh, Sean, curious to hear your thoughts on this one, what you thought about the preview, what you uh, are thinking about when it comes to Generation Shattered and other things like Future State with DC Comics? I am going to pass the mic because I am not up to speed, but I cannot wait to hear what your guys' take on it is. <laughs> All right, no problem. Brad, to you, my friend. You know, I'll say this, is that I'm not, um, I'm not looking into clues because generally when I do that, I'm wrong. And I kind of <laughs> like it. And as a comic book reader, sometimes I like it better when I read something and then go and connect the pieces that were left before it. Uh, most recently when I reread um, Doomsday Clock, I really appreciated all the little C's that were left, uh, you know, before Doomsday Clock hit. So I'm not spending any time really looking for clues, but there are a lot of moving parts going on right now within the DC universe between death metal and future state starting and, now this generation so it is going to be interesting to see how it all kind of clicks together and this uh this wednesday is going to be a big day for dc fans uh we got the uh, first future state issues we've got this generation shattered issues and the last issue of death metal so 
Uh, we're not going to have to wait long to at least get some kind of answers on how it all kind of fits together. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Uh, Seth, what was your takeaway? Yeah, I, I mean, one, there is a ton of stuff coming up. And Wednesday will be a big day. I'm curious to see, you know, how it all pieces together. Because the one thing that caught me about Generation Shattered, and I know uh, one of our other co-hosts, Steve J. Ray, has mentioned this before, and I was recently glancing through uh, Detective Comics uh, 1027, and the story that is referenced through this preview of uh, Generation Shattered, and how some really fun characters that I love from say the Bahaha days and um, a few others with uh, historical significance for DC fans, continuity, time periods, and what this generation shattered supposed to be. This was interesting because it almost felt like it was the scene before the story that's revealed in Detective Comics number 1027. Without like getting into whatever spoiler, blah, 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 I will say that... Um, it was a, a fun read for me because it showed me a little bit of what preceded that story. And if you've read that story, I'm curious to hear that as well. Uh, remember, at the end, we try and let you know all the ways you can get back to us about it. if we're right, if we're wrong, if you like what we're saying, if you know you have total disagreements. But I, I, I think that there's an attempt to keep trying to make greater connections to the periods of comics that we've enjoyed that we're currently trying to reconcile so often in the present and whether or not there might be another way of addressing it without always trying to make it so much about reconciling, but more not losing touch with those great comic book time periods. So I'm, I'm still curious to see how it shakes out, but I, I was intrigued by the fact that this felt like a, a story that preceded one that we've already had hints to. And I'm also wondering why do that? If fans have read Detective Comics 1027, this came before in some way. What what does that mean for those of us maybe looking at the story, looking at the timeline, or anything else to go with it? I'm uh, I'm gonna keep reading because they've got me hooked, and I just really can't stop. And maybe you're in that same position, which means you can totally understand why there's a possibility that some comic shops may have accidentally sold. Death Metal number seven and DC future state titles due to come out on Wednesday, but already in the hands of some lucky fans. Brad, turning this one over to you first. Uh, you know, mistakes happen. What was your thoughts on this possibility that some people already got, you know, access to physical copies of these books? That is a pretty big mistake. These are pretty big, important books. So that was like, eesh. Uh, and I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't been bigger news, that there hasn't been leaks that were kind of all over the Internet. You know, looking over the news list today, that was the first that I've heard of it. So um, I was kind of surprised that that wasn't uh, more on my on my radar. But um, I'm glad that there weren't any spoilers that accidentally leaked into my eyeballs because um, I kind of want to be surprised. But, um, yeah, that was a. It's a pretty big mistake. So, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, that won't happen again. But that was of all times for that to happen. That was not the best, not the best time. So that was it's kind of a shame. And Sean, what was your takeaway? Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by all this because, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I read my stuff on tablets um, through DC Universe. And so 
it's like a lottery system of just when stuff shows up. Uh, and so I'm, I'm detached from the, you know, street dates, uh, uh, being of going to the comic book shops and picking up stuff, which I haven't done since I was a teenager probably. And I rely so much more on, on digital media. So I usually wait till a run is completed and, and then pick up that story and, and go from start to finish. Uh, the idea that a, that a book got leaked early is kind of insane, especially if it's in the middle of a, a story arc that people are really, really fascinated in. Um, but I, I'm so removed from <laughs> that, and I'll probably catch up with these stories in about six months or so, six months to a year, when they're fully available on the app and I can enjoy them uh, in their entirety. I uh, I think there has to be a certain you know comfort in that, you know, just sort of knowing that you know I get these when they show up. It's you know. When they show up, that's when I read them, and and that's how it works out with the tablet view in DC Universe. And I do notice that there is a time period from when they're released physically to when they appear on DC Universe. And sometimes it's been fun for me to follow up, but I also know, Brad, for you and I, when we get a chance to get advanced copies, you know, there's a recognition that you don't even release your review until so many hours into the day that the physical copy is supposed to be released, right? That's just sort of a given. That's something that you check in with the editor about and everyone sort of knows that until you reach that certain cutoff time, that that review can't be posted. You're gonna be revealing information, you're going against what the, the company's wishes are and the agreement you've reached by you know agreeing to get copies of that. Comic book shops, completely different story. You know, they're dealing with the physical copies. Clearly, they got advanced copies. Why it was that it wasn't clearly laid out or the decision was made to, you know, disregard whatever the uh, agreement was before about, you know, putting these out and available for sale. I, I'm i really kind of stuck on. <laughs> I, uh, I do agree, but it's a pretty big mistake. Um, and I can only imagine what that, you know, experience is like, you know, for anyone who's thinking to themselves, like, if I live there, wouldn't it be nice if I could get my hands on this? I'm also stunned, you know, by something you brought up, Brad, which is that there isn't more spoilers out there on the Internet, that we haven't seen images and, you know, so much more to do made about this. Is it just, you know, something that for whatever reason hasn't uh garnered more interest or uh, I don't know, widespread attention. But I was surprised as well that this had happened. It, it, it seems like it's something that would have happened more often or more you know, recently, just given how things have been a little bit screwy with uh, delivery and where things are coming from and who's doing the distribution. So I'm surprised that it happened now. It does feel like it's, you know, uh, a time when you would most likely not want that kind of mistake to happen. But now it's happened. Uh, I don't know how they're going to resolve it. And I'm really left with that question of, huh, is, is it is it as big of a deal as it feels? It feels like it's big, but it's also not, you know, quote unquote, breaking the Internet or doing anything like that. So um, how big does it really become if the people who got the early issues are like, yeah, I'm not going to say more than I got it or show you a picture or two of the, the covers that to prove that I actually have it. And other than that, that's the, the greatest relevance that's being you know related to it. it it's kind of interesting for me now to, to hear that and go, how did that happen? And there hasn't been more to do or more discussion. Left with that, maybe it's just one of those other things we can leave behind with 2020. Our final story 
has DC Comics and a very popular character from DC Comics known to fans as the Joker blowing up 2020 in a New Year's Eve greeting to ring in 2021. Sean, going over to you first on this one. What was your take on this uh, Twitter image and what DC Comics was saying about, well, even the Joker's feeling about 2020? <laughs> I think we can all relate, essentially. Um, you know, some of, <laughs> some of us peacefully want to say goodbye to the new year uh, and welcome the optimism that comes with the new uh, turning of the page, turning of the calendar page. Uh, that's not what the Joker does. Um, and so this seems very on brand. <laughs> uh, this looks like a beautiful print. I would love to frame this and hang this. Um, yeah, everything about it is kind of glorious. And uh, I think it really does send the message that we all feel <laughs> about last year <laughs> and how we want to remember it. So, uh, yeah, I thought I thought it was really funny. If you're going to cheer the man blowing up something, this is the thing to cheer, right? How about you, Brad? <laughs> Yeah, this is one time when the Joker is all of us. I think we all want to blow up 2020. And <laughs> I, I, I agree. I would, I would want this framed. I think we, uh, we can all agree that um, 2020's bets left blown up, but why not let the Joker be the one to blow it up? So, yeah, goodbye 2020. You will not be missed. Yeah, I think in this case, the Joker is the person we need to blow up 2020. Like, he's the guy clearly qualified to perform the task at hand and experienced. And, you know, why should the rest of us get our hands dirty? Hey, Joker, go ahead, blow it up. We'll watch, laugh, smile. We'll even smile for you. How about that? That That's it, guys. That's our final news story. It's been really fun chatting up all of these topics uh, and so grateful to have an amazing guest like Sean O'Connell, who not only gave us amazing insights to his book, to the Snyder Cut movement, but then, you know, all of his experience working and writing about film, cinema, and bringing that to all of our great topics. Sean, wanted to go ahead and thank you again, man. I really appreciate it. Guys, this was great. I had a ton of fun. I could talk to EC all the time, so I really appreciate you guys having me on. That's awesome. I've uh, been really grateful to do this podcast, Sean, with you and with Brad. Uh, at the end of each episode, whoever's on with us, we'd love to let people know how they can reach out, make contact. Um, if anyone had a question they wanted to follow up on, whether it was about your comments about the topics, about the book that you've written, about your, your history writing about film, uh, what would be the best way for them to find you, social media or other platforms, so they can you know, say, hey? So the book has its own Twitter account. Um, it's at RTSC book, um, release is not a cut book. You can search for me too. I'm at, I'm at Sean underscore O'Connell um, because there is a mixed martial artist also named Sean O'Connell who has a huge <laughs> following and he, uh, he beat me to it. Um, but yeah. And then of course on cinema blend, um, I'm the managing editor for cinema blend and we're running a ton of uh, content for all the types of movies and entertainment that, hopefully your listeners enjoy as well too so hopefully you make us a, a daily stop when you're looking at uh information on things that's coming to film and television so hit me up on any of those three places and i would love to talk to you guys that's awesome um brett every once in a while people are going to have questions man where can they find you when those questions relate to things you've said or topics we were talking about 
Yeah, and real quick, yes, thank you so much, Sean, for coming on and sharing your insights. That was very informative, and you know, thanks again so much. Of course. Uh, you can find me writing news reviews at DC Comics News. Uh, you can find me also on the Mad Love Harley Quinn podcast, part of the uh, DC Comics News podcast network. And you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyV1. I haven't spelled it out in a while, so it is F-I-L-I-C-K-Y-B, the number one. And Seth, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at DC Comics News, um, either on the podcast stuff, hanging out with you guys on the weekly podcast, hosting the Spinner Rack, my top five picks from DC Comics each and every week, writing reviews. And you can also find me out there on the internet, social media at large, Twitter, I'm one more singleton, or just type my name, Seth Singleton, in the word story into a search engine and let me know what you find. Uh, keep in mind the fact that we're all part of this great DC Comics News family. If you ever have a message you just want to send out to the gang at large, all you have to do is find us on your favorite social media platform, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, any of that stuff. Just the at symbol in DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S. When you do, you'll let us all know what you're thinking and we get the chance to respond and talk to you. And It's a lot of fun for all of us. Make sure you never miss an episode. Subscribe to DC Comics News Podcast Network on your favorite platform. Wherever you're listening, just find that subscribe button, hit it, and you will be guaranteed to catch the next 100 episodes of DC Comics News Weekly Podcast, I Am The Night, Mad Love, Spinner Act, so many other great shows that we have and more coming your way, uh, including DC and After Dark, our newest edition. And man... Based on what you just heard today, how can you not want to be part of more? Um, it's been a great conversation with Sean O'Connell. It's been a great episode number 100. Uh, Brett, thanks for being an awesome co-host on so many of these episodes. It's been really a, a great time hanging out with you and getting to talk with great people like Sean. Um, really, really enjoy every chance we get to have. Sean, we have one last thing we do at the end of the episode, and I wanted to go ahead and throw it out there, and there's no pressure. If if you say no, we'll just edit it, and it'll be great. <laughs> but at the end, we always say the phrase, read more comics, and usually one of us says one word, one says the other. Since you're the guest of honor, would you like to participate, and do you have a preference on the word read more or comics to say at the like end of our episode to say today? comics. Awesome. Um, Brad, do you want to read or more? I'll take read. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, we're just going to end up with that final signal phrase and, and wrap up this 100th episode with Brad Felicki, myself, Seth Singleton, and the wonderful and hopefully soon returning again, Sean O'Connell, Cinema Plan. So, folks, as we always like to say at the end of every show, please remember to read more comics. <laughs> that's it everyone thank you sean mcconnell thank you everyone what a great show and like that comes to a close